station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, movie war boy, war, <laughs> war girl, war woman. Imperator, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> movie Imperator, <laughs> Melissa Kirscher. Hello. And today we are joined for our, our, uh, by our, for our new newbie. We have Allie. What's your last name now? It's Baker. Baker. I was like, <laughs> it's ah. much easier than it used to be. Well, it is, except I was like, shit, I don't remember <laughs> what her last name is now. Um, anyway, we have Allie. We're going to call her our movie war girl. I'm into it. Let's All do right. it. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, and we're here to watch Mad Max Fury Road, which, Allie, you have not seen. Never seen. Never seen. So, uh, as is our tradition, you need to tell us what you know about Mad Max Fury Road. I know that it has Tom Hardy. I know that it has Charlize Theron. And I know that it's supposed to be frigging awesome. Okay. That's about it. Uh, have you seen any other Mad Max films? I have not. Oh, uh-huh. interesting. Coming in cold. So this will be your first Mad Max film. Yes. Okay. You know, what's interesting about this, and we'll have maybe we'll talk about it more later, or maybe we won't. Uh, Matt, this is the fourth film. In the Mad Max franchise, we have done Road Warrior, uh-huh. which is the second film in the Mad Max franchise. We have not done Beyond Thunderdome, which is the third film in the Mad Max franchise. And we unlikely, I mean, we probably won't. Uh, but what I think is interesting is we've never done the original film in the nope. Mad Max franchise. Nope. We are now doing another sequel. But we have not ever done Mad Max. We're, we're doing the even numbered ones, the much even, like with Star Trek. Much like with Star Trek. <laughs> we're doing the even numbered Mad Max films. They're they're all very I mean, we'll get into this later, I'm sure. But yeah, all the all the the tone of each of the Mad Max films is very different. Although this one is the most like the Road Warrior. And the Road Warrior and Fury Road tend to be the favorites of the four films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, makes a lot of sense. This and and also you can drop into any of the Mad Max films without seeing any of the previous ones, and it will be fine. Yeah, I mean, you might go, "What the hell is going on with Thunderdome?" But even people who've seen the previous films will go, "What the hell is going on with Thunderdome?" So <laughs> that I, anywhere anywhere you drop in, it's fine. It's fine. They all stand on their own. I feel like yeah, Mad Max is one of those one of those franchises where every time you get into it, you kind of get dropped into the middle of something. Yeah. And you have to figure out what's going on and having known what was going on previously does not help. Yep. Um so you are fortunate, Allie, in that we are making you watch a sequel to a movie, a series of movies, where having watched the series of movies that preceded it is completely useless. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh this movie came out a couple of years ago and uh 2015. Like 2015 to mm-hmm. be exact. That's why you're here. Because yes. you remember dates and I do not. I, sometimes. <laughs> well, sometimes beats never. So never <laughs> is pretty much where I fall. Sometimes is where Melissa falls. So it came out a couple of years ago. And uh, I would say that the geek world was, uh, what do we want to say, blown away? Yes. It was a buzz. It, it was, was a buzz. Yes. People were like, God damn, Fury Road. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they did not have Mel Gibson, who was the the star of the first three Mad Max films. Mm-hmm. 
so they recast the lead role mm-hmm. as Tom Hardy, as Allie mentioned. Uh, I'm not going to, that, that's not a spoiler to say Tom Hardy's in this film. Or Shirley's Theron is in this film because right. no matter what you know about Shirley's Theron, will not prepare you for Shirley's <laughs> Theron in this film. It's true. She's amazing. Yeah. It's just like, go back and watch any other film that Shirley's Theron has made. It will not prepare you to watch the Shirley's Theron in Fury Road. Except possibly the Fast and Furious movie she was in. But, uh, uh, not quite. Yeah, well, anyway. So, um, anyway, uh, it's a really fun movie. This is an action film. Uh, pretty much it... It starts at about 60 miles per hour and then hits the throttle. Yeah. So we'll just we'll just go watch it. And yeah. you, dear listeners, should go watch it as well. If you've seen it before, uh, what better excuse to watch it again mm-hmm. than real education? So we'll be back in a little bit. Shiny and chrome. And we are back. Many cars have been destroyed. Many war boys have been witnessed. And we have witnessed. Witness me. (laughs) Witness me. Ah. (laughs) We have witnessed Fury Road. All right, Uh, Allie. So you have now seen Fury Road, which means you get to say first what you thought of Mad Max Fury Road. It was glorious. Holy (laughs) crap. (laughs) Right? Biker grannies. Biker grannies. Biker grannies. My favorite thing about that movie. Holy cow. Granny biker gang. (laughs) Badass granny biker gang. Yes. Yes. With with a knitting bag full of seeds. I wanted so much more of them. Yes. Yeah, that is a shame, isn't it? There's there's so much more of everything that I want in this movie. But But the movie is, uh, it's basically a two-hour car chase. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which... When you think about it, that's not having... a problem, Tim. No, 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 no. Do not perceive my de- my description of the film as a critique, um, but rather because Road Warrior ends with like a thirty minute car chase. Uh huh. And so it's like Fury Road was like, well, we have to do better than that. What if we just make the whole movie a car chase? Mm-hmm. And somebody said, okay. And I said, let me give you money, please. <laughs> um, Dear listeners, I like car crash movies. There's a lot of car crashes. There's a in lot this of movie. car crashes. So many car movie. crashes. Holy cats. Yeah. yeah. So, it, Ellie, did you have any further things you wanted to say on your first viewing? Uh, because after that, I'm just going to like spew. Melissa has many things she wishes to say. Yes, I no, do. I, w- I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, and, but, and but I, I'm, I'm trying to no, give no, you... No, no, no. You, you say what you want to say. I'll bounce off you. Okay. There you go. Okay, okay, okay. Sounds you good. You interject as needed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Melissa, rather than me saying anything about the movie at this point, my, why don't I just turn it over to you? <laughs> I was telling Allie on the way over excited. here. It's like, I didn't really need to look up trivia on this movie because I can talk extemporaneously about the Mad Max series for approximately eight hours nonstop. So, as yeah. as mentioned earlier, I, I think in the last episode, you named all of your dogs after Mad Max characters. Yes, Is that I did. Yeah, so I did. You get, you're a little into this stuff. I am. I am. I uh, One of my favorite movies of all time is Road Warrior. And the only reason this isn't up there with Road Warrior is possibly just because of nostalgia. Um, I feel I feel like they're both equally phenomenal films. But I have I have the deep love 
of Road Warrior. And Road Warrior has a dog in it that looks pretty much like Max. The, you Your know, dog. My dog. Max. My, the first one I rescued. And the the way I discovered Max is I walked into the Humane Society and there's this the saddest puppy in the world in a cage. And I took a picture of it and I texted my husband. And I said, can I have a little Mad Max dog? Because he looks like the goddamn dog in, Mad, in the Road Warrior. And, of course, uh, we wound up adopting him. And then, you know, there was a theme going on. And so the next one was female and she has, like, dark markings around her eyes. So that's Fury. And then uh, the third one. One uh, just uh, he he has um, microthalamia in one of his eyes, which means his eyesight's screwed up. Which means he's the doof warrior, which is the uh, flame go- throwing guitar guy in this movie, which was rad right. as hell. The flame, what what what, and, and we'll get into a lot of this. But what I find most interesting, not most interesting, but one of the things I love about this film is the flame throwing guitar guy has a backstory. Yeah. <clears throat> it's Even not addressed he, at all. Well, of course not. But, but I mean, just the fact that they were like, well, this is, you, you look at it and you're just like, oh, that's awesome mm-hmm. and weird. But the fact that somebody said, all right, let us decide why. I mean, I don't know if the first thing they did is said, we want a guitar guy with a flamethrower in the movie. Or they said, I've got this interesting backstory for a character. <laughs> Well, but we need a flame throwing guitar guy, and I don't know which way it went, but either way, <laughs> well, I, this is just I kind of it. the way George Miller makes movies. Because let's let's bring it back a little bit. This is a fantastic car crash movie, as we were saying. All the car crashes are practical. They went out to Namibia and crashed a shit ton of custom vehicles. Damn. Uh, the. I believe it was the cinematographer who said that pretty much 90% of the movie is practical effects. There's almost no CGI in it, which this depends on what your definition of CGI is, because they did do a lot of retouch work in like removing safety lines and things like that. And almost every single shot is retouched just for um, hypersaturating the color. But in terms of, stunts and crashes and explosions they actually went out and did that stuff and one of the best reasons to to own the blu-ray of fury road is because it has a ton of extras on it particularly in the production design and car crashing departments and the those documentaries on how they made all this shit happen are astounding and uh, the raw footage of Cars chasing across the desert is really amazing because it's really literally just what you see on film, except they haven't hypersaturated the the digital image to get all the the, the rich uh, like gold and red and blue colors out of out of the image because, you know, they were in the desert. Right. Yeah. So. But yeah, uh, dear listeners, do look up those. Uh, you can even go on YouTube. A lot of the stuff's on YouTube. Everything's just raw, on YouTube. Raw footage of Fury Road. Just watch a lot of cars crash in the desert. It's really satisfying. Nice. <laughs> Seems but, to me the majority of the CGI was just erasing Charlize Theron's arm. Oh, that was a major part of it. Uh, she was wearing a green cast on her arm for much of the filming. And she even, God, did she break Tom Hardy's nose with it at one point? 
by I, accident. Well, you're looking at me like I know. I think I think you're she the, broke you're somebody's the trivia nose. Person. That's she your broke job. somebody's nose with her with her cast by accident. But yeah, she had a green green uh, cast on her arm for the whole thing, so they could digitally remove her arm and then put in the the uh, prosthetic. But uh, it, and I think trying to remember. Oh, sometimes they were. Uh, putting little details in the background or making the sky more interesting or something like that. But, you know, little background details. Making stuff like a steering that. wheel fly into the camera. I, I don't feel yeah, like... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not big on that. I'm shot. not sure they... No, actually, it's... It, it, I was thinking as I was watching it, I was like, this is my least favorite shot in the It film. is. I, I had that same thought. I was yeah. like, mm, I'm that like, one's a little hokey. I'm like, 3D! <laughs> yeah. Everything I, I, I pretty everything much love else. any everything else in the film, but that one moment, I'm like, oh, you just took you just took like this this great sacrifice moment, and you you put a 3D and that's a, a, a steering wheel in my camera, and and the D4 your guitar <laughs> right in the screen, yeah, the, the, yeah, but but it's such a beautiful crash, otherwise, and then you, mm-hmm. yeah. But you know, okay. Anyway, Nit- nitpicky, nitpicky, nitpicky. But anyway, where I was initially going with that is bringing it back to the Doof Warrior because all things lead back to Doof the Doof Warrior. Warrior. And um, so everything not only had to be practical, but George George Miller, the director, likes things to work for realsies. Please tell me that guitar actually spit flames. It did. Oh, yes. <laughs> it was controlled by the whammy bar. Oh, my gosh. So the, the musician playing the Doof Warrior is a musician named Iota. And, sure he is. And uh, This does not surprise me. Yes. <laughs> they actually brought him in from the post-apocalyptic future for this movie. Yes, they did. I believe and that. <laughs> time, he's a time-traveling blind guitarist. So the... I will get to his backstory later. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, maybe you will and maybe you won't. Maybe I will, maybe you might I won't. end up being final thoughts. Yeah, I might get distracted. No, I've got a really good final thought. It's short. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, so the production team made the Doof Wagon, which is what it's called. Doof Wagon. Which has these stacks of, of speakers and the, the guitar and the drums on the back because there's Tycho drums on the back being thumped upon. And they make this Their thing. arms must have gotten really tired. You think about those people on there right? drumming yeah. as they're driving all day long. Yeah, mm-hmm. no kidding. Do they, they like do it in shifts or something? <laughs> no, they you know, they're shiny and chrome. They just take a hit from the, the spray bottle and keep going. Oh, okay. Or all something. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, so they make this thing and you know, they just made you know, just made something that looked like speakers and you put it all together and they present it to George Miller out in the middle of the desert and he goes all right, let's turn it on and see how it sounds. And they're we like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> uh, give us a minute. <laughs> so they rebuilt it. And yes, the speakers worked. The guitar worked. It sounded terrible, apparently, but that's okay. It worked. And yes, it really did spit flames. It was controlled by the whammy bar. There really were drums in the back. And as they're driving around, yes, Iota was up there in a sling, blindfolded, <laughs> spitting flames, and playing guitar. Amazing. Yes. And so even right down to um, in one of the car chases, you know, you've got the, the acrobats on the poles that are dipping down and grabbing people from yeah. the war rig. Uh, they did that, too. They had poles and Cirque du Soleil acrobats on the top of them. That and they were cool. going, Wee! 
counterweighted poles and they're grabbing people out of the the war rig and I just I got so excited that I hit our um, our soundboard our, our and soundboard. that's the end of the podcast. I'm it's sorry, over. Sorry, everybody. No, it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> We're fine. So yeah, it, it it's insane what they actually did to make this movie. And when um, you think about those guys on the poles, you're like, what combat need? Did this design meet at the time? Well, it was certainly useful when they finally used it. It was it was useful in this specific instance. Right. Like, and I'm like, how often did they find themselves in this kind of battle situation? Well, given this is the fourth movie of pretty much nonstop car chases, and there are a lot of cars in the... Supposed Australian outback. They filmed in Namibia, but all the previous ones were filmed in Australia. Um, it seems to me that would be actually a pretty effective thing. To it, might, it might be. I mean, I, I just did. I was I mean, looking we, at. We are talking about a movie where you have a character named the Bullet Farmer. He's wearing a headdress of bullets, and he has bullets for teeth. He does. He does. Yeah, he does. that was that was pretty impressive. Yeah, when he just pulls one of his teeth out. I'm like, oh, that is a bullet. All right, buddy, yeah. you do you. <laughs> it's post-apocalyptic Australia. We might as well just go to eleven. We're talking about a world where I mean, your son brought this up as we came down here. It's like, why, if if the their most valuable thing is gasoline, why do they keep wasting it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Like everybody know. is in, in is in these roving car gangs, which seems like the least useful thing right. to do. Yeah. And and all of their vehicles are very inefficient. And yeah. And yeah. they're spewing flames out of guitars. Sure. Which why not? Yeah. Well, you know, if you've got it, flaunt it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 it is a very fleshed out world. You know, when you really think about it, it doesn't make sense. But yet... Even though the plots of the four Mad Max movies don't really talk to each other very much, except for just placing Max in the middle of something happening and stuff happens around him, um, this is a world that it's it's a post-apocalyptic world where people are pretty much trying to eke out whatever existence they can, and one of the points. You know, one of the very minor points that George Miller was trying to make with this movie is he he wanted the colors to pop. He wanted very col- he wanted everything to be very colorful. He wanted everything to be as like beautiful as it could be, because first of all, all other apocalyptic movies look gray. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also, he figured this is a world where people want to make beauty wherever they can. So they would, you know, that's kind of the reason why everything all the cars are custom built and there's like all these little ornamentations all over everything and you know even all even though it's all rusted out and dusty and everything there's this effort made kind of like raccoons or magpies just grabbing what whatever they want and keeping everything shiny and chrome you know yeah that that i mean that's the way i've always looked at the mad max world I think um, thematically that that one of the things that took me about the film this time is it really feels like sort of the central theme is something about trust. 
um, mm-hmm. about the fact that in in this in this post-apocalyptic world, and I think it's been a theme in in the Mad Max movies all along, is this idea that that everybody really is in it for themselves. Oh yeah. And when you find these moments where there are these characters that actually support one another, mm-hmm. um, it it is what actually gives them a shred of humanity in the midst of everybody losing theirs. Right. So you've got you've got Furiosa and the and the brides trusting each other in this escape. And then you've got Max who clearly doesn't trust them and they don't trust him, but there is and also it's Hux, right? Am I Nux. Nux. See, I'm I'm mistaking him with General Hugs from <laughs> the last Jedi. But anyway, backing up. So you've got uh Nux who's basically been taught that the only thing he can trust is is Immortan Joe. But, of course, Immortan Joe isn't any more trustworthy than anybody else. He's mm-hmm. just managed to establish himself as the leader mm-hmm. and by controlling the most important resources, which really, even though, you know, my son pointed out gas is super, super important, and yet they keep driving these inefficient vehicles, but they're really... When you look at it, the resource that's most important is water. Right. Um, so he controls that resource, which is how he controls those people. But it's not really trust. If somebody else controls the water, they're going to turn on Immortan Joe in a minute. Do not rely on the water. <laughs> <Do> <laughs> Even Immortan Joe knows that. But but you you will lament its absence. I can't remember what that line is, but it's as, beautiful. As you watch. Max and Furiosa mm-hmm. develop that trust with one another. That's what gives this movie kind of its its heart, you know. Because yeah, there is it is just a car chase, but there's that there's that movement from not from believing that each one will abandon the other whenever whenever the need arises. Mm-hmm to the realization that they've reached the point where they will stand up and for each other. Mm-hmm. When needed, reaching that that final culmination when when Max is willing to actually give his blood to to Furiosa, which is super important because it's being stolen from him mm-hmm. at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And so you would think that 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 he's reached the point where fuck if anybody else gets my blood, I'm done with that shit. So when he gives it freely, that's a huge shift in who he is as a character mm-hmm. and in his relationship to Furiosa and his his almost surrender to trusting somebody else, which is something that, that we know he is very loath to do. Oh, I think one of the best scenes for that is when he actually hands the gun to her because he knows she's a better shot. <laughs> right. I love and, that and, scene and so plays much. Her stand. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> like, yeah. okay, I'm just going to sit here. And yeah. I love Shirley's throne. She's like behind her, like, just get, mm, give me the gun. Mm, just, uh, I can do it. Oh, don't waste. Uh. <laughs> and he's like, oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> don't breathe. Don't breathe. Uh. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a beautiful scene. <laughs> Well, there's there are a lot of great moments. They, well, for for an also... action film, the number of character moments they managed to build into it is really pretty impressive. Oh yeah, well, I mean, it, it's and that's something you see throughout the the Mad Max franchise. Um, not so much in the first one, but the other three. Uh, even characters that you only see for a moment, they're so distinct that 
they stick in your head. There's, I mean, even though the majority of the people we have seen on screen in Fury Road, most of them, you don't even know their names. Uh, their, their names aren't even spoken in the movie. They're, we know their names because they are in the cast list. <laughs> like, uh, was it, che- it, it Toast the Knowing? Uh, I'm trying to remember the wives' names. Toast the Knowing, Cheeto, Cheeto the Sensible? Uh, yeah, uh, can't remember them. No. You can they're, find they're, this on the IMDb. Yeah, there are, they're bizarro names. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it, it's... Welcome to bizarro names. But each each of the women, each of the, the wives are distinct. Uh, and of course, Furiosa is her own character. And, you know, when the Volvani come in, I love that they're called the Volvani, uh, the 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 motorcycle grannies come in, you know, the, they each, even if they don't have any lines, you, you pick out which one's which and you kind of catch on to their per- personalities pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I love the, that George Miller's cinematic shorthand is so clean that, and, and the production team did such a good job of, of making personalities come out in production design and hair and makeup and, where you just get the visuals and the actor's performance in even just a few seconds, you kind of catch on what they're about. It's remarkable stuff. So anyway, tell us yeah. about the guitar guy. Okay, so the backstory between, behind uh, the Doof Warrior is that... Doof Warrior! That uh, the, the uh, Morton Joe found this abandoned child who had no eyes, but he could play beautiful, beautiful music. And so Morton Joe took him under his wing and uh, basically gave him the place of like the piper at the head of a, of a, of a Scottish army. You know, he, he will, he will be your inspiration. And so he gave him the doof wagon. And, and that is the doof warrior's job is to rile up the war boys and bring them forward to battle. And that's in a nutshell what the backstory of, but it, it, it's like, Oh, all right. Yeah. Okay, I get why you'd put a guitar a blind throwing gu- guitar guy. Yeah, right. blind pr- guitar guy with this huge thing of, uh, of speakers behind him. <laughs> it's it's because you know, he and, and Morton Joe's music. old enough to remember the old world kind yeah. of, and to remember some of that history, mm-hmm. and to make use of that history mm-hmm. for all these people that either have forgotten it or never knew it because they were born. I mean, we don't know when the apocalypse happened. We really, right. we really don't. And of course, because we recast Max to be about the same age as Mel Gibson was when they made the first movies. No, Mel Gibson was real young when he, he was real young in Mad Max. But by by the time we got to Road Warrior and Thunderdome, eh. he was a little older. I mean, Tom Hardy's mid thirties and wasn't eh. wasn't Mel Gibson maybe eh, probably by. Uh... Yeah, we could look it up, I, but it's really not. Dome, probably. Yeah. So, but I mean, the point is that that we are to believe that this happened within probably a few years of Road Warrior and Thunderdome. There's an interesting fan theory. Whoa, good fan theories are the best. No, this is a really good fan theory. Um, so there's a character in in the Road Warrior named Feral Boy. <laughs> Who is this little kid with wild hair, with a uh, razor sharp boomerang, and he cuts bad guys' heads off? But he he doesn't talk. He just he just kind of and and grunts and you know goes and crawls in a hole. Um, 
the theory is that Tom Hardy's character is actually Feral Boy grown up. He has he he grew up idolizing Mad Max, who came in and, and saved his little society back in the day of Road Warrior, and so he carried on uh, by you know imitating Mad Max. He you know got the you know a similar le- leather coat and drive. Drives the same car, which you see in uh, stolen in this movie, and uh, and then destroyed. God damn it! Yeah, so he's like the Dread Pirate Roberts, except for Mad Max. And has George Miller responded to this fan theory? If I remember right, he has, and I think it was a gentle way of saying, "I wish we'd thought of that," Uh, (laughs) (laughs) because I, I know that's not George Miller's answer for whether I think George Miller's answer is this actually is Mad Max, but wouldn't that have been cool if this was Feral Boy? Hmm. He should have just said, that's an interesting theory. Mm, right. Yeah. <laughs> so points taken away from George Miller well, for... Well, also, the, 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 another thing that kind of supports that is all the flashback stuff you see in the, the just the little glimpses of flashback have nothing to do with any of the previous movies. They're nothing like what happened to Max in his previous life as Mel Gibson. So... But, but it's all just, I mean... It's very general, but it's its still, that's thats not... Well, it doesn't flashback a little bit. To, I, I, it feels like well, there's the only... implications to what happened. Because Mad Max, if we are to go back to the original Mad yeah. Max for a moment, is a revenge film. I it mean, is. It, is, it, is in, it is interestingly enough entirely different from, from the other three films yeah. in that... that Max at the beginning is a police officer mm-hmm. in a post-apocalyptic future, mm-hmm. and uh, he's you know a good guy, right? He's the yeah. he's he's an honest cop in a post-apocalyptic world that doesn't need honest cops or something like that. Yeah, it is something like that. Something like that, but- and, and his family gets killed. Sorry, spoilers. Anyway, <laughs> this is the fourth Mad Max film. Seriously, so his family gets killed, and the rest of the movie is just him getting revenge. Mm-hmm. And essentially, the end of that is him walking off into the sunset, turning into the and and becoming this like I'm not going to care about anybody ever again guy, and then. Yeah. It, it's then, essentially a western, so you've right. got this gunslinger sort of character that just drop into the middle of a community, and and the story happens around him. And then then the the subsequent films are sort of about Max continuing to find people he'll actually care about. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, I and, I always and, feel and so like, like it's so like each movie is about Max learning how to sacrifice for others. <laughs> And then so we keep rehashing this. Over and then and over. he leaves because everybody he loves dies. Well, no, they don't. Well, he doesn't know. He leaves. Yeah. So how would he know if they if they, they they're die? dead to him? They're oh, yeah, d- whatever. <laughs> um, let's let's arc around to other recurring themes that that come through. Um, now, car crashes. Car crashes. There's so many car crashes, but also. Uh, the feminist streak in this movie is really strong. Ooh, it's it pissed not... fanboys off something oh, fierce. Oh, it did. But it's like, have you seen the previous ones? Because the previous Mad Max movies, even though they weren't so so centered on somebody like Furiosa, they Mad Max mo- movies have always had 
really strong female characters in them. Like in the first Mad Max, you got the granny with the shotgun. You've got uh, his wife's kind of badass, <laughs> and she plays saxophone. <laughs> uh, if only then, it blew fire. If only it blew fire. And then in the second one, you've got Virginia Hay with a crossbow and hey. and, and and like hockey shoulder pads up yeah. to here some, and a some, headband and she's amazing. A serious 80s jacket in the oh desert. My God, she's amazing. I need to show you Roid Warrior. It's, <laughs> it's really awesome. And then in in uh, Thunderdome, you have Auntie Entity, who is Tina Turner in a chainmail dress that weighs 60 pounds, and she's amazing. And also there's the, um, can't, the I can't remember her her uh, her name, but there's the spiritual leader of the, the tribe of kids that he meets for the second half of the movie, which is a really weird tangent to take in that film. Anyway, Thunderdome. Thunderdome's a weird film. And then here, it's like George Miller just goes... Well, let's let's get lots of women, <laughs> mm-hmm. and let's make them all badass. Let's do it. So, um, I think uh, yeah, it's one of the big things. I'll just get into this first. This is the first Mad Max movie to be nominated for Oscars, and it got six of them, including Best Editing, which went to Margaret Sixel, who uh, edited the hell out of this movie. Margaret Sixel is. Um, Previously, only had edited children's movies. She edited the Happy Feet movies, Babe Pig in the City, stuff like that. And uh, she also happens to be married to George Miller now. But he he handed her this movie and said, "I want you to edit the next Mad Max movie." She goes, "I've never edited an action film. What are you doing?" And he goes, "I don't want it to look like an action film edited by a man." Take it. <laughs> and so there's that. But also, um, one of the, um, not a supervisor, but one of the uh, advisors on the movie was Eve Ensler of the Vagina Monologues. Huh. So they brought her in. I think she even went to Namibia with a cast and uh, sat around with the female cast, especially the wives, and talked with them about um, how women in captivity react in different ways to to their captors and how how they choose to rebel and, and all this stuff and um, like spent a couple of weeks with them and uh, giving uh, her pointers on the script and things like that so that was awesome but beyond that there are so many things that happen in this movie that I find just fascinating from a filmmaker in feminist perspective, like one of the things that almost made me just stand up clapping in the theater was when the pregnant wife leans out of the car and uses her Mm -hmm. body as a shield. It's like, I know you don't care about me, but you sure care about this baby. And I, and it's like pregnant woman in an action film being not the precious cargo. She's out there with everybody else and she knows how to play she she knows what is valuable to the villain and using that as a shield for everybody else. Everybody's like, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, furthermore, you've got Furioso, who has one arm and a prosthetic. I mean, that was huge to the, uh, you know, the paraplegic community. And um, you've got 
older women, like how often do you see older women in an action film? And you have a whole tribe of motorcycle grannies being badass. And it's just, there's so much here that's going on that I absolutely adore. I think um, the, the thing that's important to me, that was important to me in watching this film, uh, twofold with Furiosa. Number one, it was never mentioned that she was a girl. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that was never even an issue. It was. It was the, the, there's never a moment where somebody's like, "Oh, we can beat her. She's just a girl." Mm-hmm. There's never anybody who treats her with less respect because she's a girl. Max does not consider her less formidable mm-hmm. than he would any other opponent, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is important because. Movies like this, even when they have a badass female character, what they do is they have the male characters underestimate her. And so this movie never does that, which I thought was pretty smart. Um, And the other thing is that the movie, while there's certainly a level of trust that develops and a level of care that develops between Max and Furiosa, there's not a romance that develops. Oh, and there never is in a a Mad Max. Right. But again, it's not what an action movie does. Yeah. Um, and so it was It was one of those things that you're, as you're watching it and you're like, these two aren't, there's no love story. No, I was, I, that was one of the things that uh, I kept waiting to happen. I, as, as, as Furiosa lays there ostensibly dying, I'm just like, oh God, this is the point where he's going to go, no, I need you or some mm-hmm. sappy bullshit like that. And it never happened. Mm-hmm. And that made my heart so happy that, that they didn't just shoehorn it in there. Oh, oh, no, I've come to love you because you're capable for a woman. You know? Capable. That's the name of one of capable. the other ones. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. I did know I knew that. I was there. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. All, that, all that he does is he tells her his name, which, again, is about trust. Yeah, which was a, a great moment. I, I like that. He, Max, my name is Max. Mm-hmm. He opens up more to her by telling her his name than by saying he loves her. When you think about it, mm-hmm. yeah, he he shows more vulnerability in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I and I love he doesn't stick around at the end either. It's like nope. okay, you got this. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I I must walk off into the sunset into another plot line. They share the nod of respect, and that's all they mm-hmm. need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she didn't yeah. need him. No. At that point. He's like, you got this. Or, or really ever. <laughs> we can we can talk about that. I mean, there, there well, are so many things that Max he, fucks he was, up in this He movie. was helpful. He was helpful for the most part. But, but he, not necessary. Right. <laughs> nah, I will argue that they would have probably died of dehydration in the desert had he not come and told, told them, them maybe they should turn around. That's true. That's true. That's and, true. And, uh, Even though that makes the plot, let's go out there and come back again. Yep, that is the plot. <laughs> that is the plot. That's but they thought, oh, they, that's gonna, they thought they were gonna. They thought they were gonna get to the green place, and then yeah. there was no green place. There was no green place. Um, but I mean, the bullet farmer he he goes and takes care of the bullet farmer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's like he hey, cleared the road for Furious. There, there's there's a there's a, everybody in the movie contributes mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, I love how the the wives all band together and they each have their thing that they contribute to to the team effort Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's not the usual ways either it's like okay match the bullets to the gun oh i got this (laughs) yeah and nux contributes and yeah you know the the way that that all of these characters have to do something Mm -hmm. 
and and that they can't succeed without one another. Again, it fit, it fits into that that idea that that if people work together in this world, they can achieve more than if they do what Immortan Joe and his brothers are doing, which is really just just taking power for themselves and taking control for themselves and and using others to achieve their own goals. Right. We are not things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um so I mean it's it's nice that way and it's thoughtful that way. Yeah. Um and and the the, the thing about a Mad Max film is it's never about Max. Yeah. It never is. Which is really weird. Mhm. That your main character is not ever who the movie's about, except for the first movie. The first movie was about yeah, Max. Yeah, the, the first movie's kind of this weird outlier. But Fury Road is not about Max. Furiosa is the star of that movie. Mm-hmm. She is the movie. She is the character that drives everything that's happening. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> drives. Get it? Because it's see car. What you did there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, and everybody else is is working in support of her, mm-hmm. in support of her agenda. Um, to rescue these women and to get them someplace better yeah. than where they've been. And then, and and that's, that's smart and interesting because it, it surprises you, mm-hmm. you know, right off the bat. It's like the movie opens and we see Max and we think it's about him, right? Because... Yeah, he's he the gets, one escaping. He and... gets his narration. He gets yeah. to eat a lizard. <laughs> he and he gets captured, and he tries to escape, and now he's a blood bag. And we're like, "This is about Max. This is centered on Max." And then Furiosa goes driving down that road, and she turns left mm-hmm. or right. I, I think it's left, but anyway, she turns left. It doesn't really matter, does it? I'm really going on I think about it's the a detail. In Australia. I don't. I don't know, but I'm going. <laughs> I'm clearly worried about a detail that's irrelevant. But nonetheless, she turns a direction other than than the one she was supposed to go. And it's like the movie itself turns to follow her. Yep. And so the movie movie is like going down this metaphorical road where we think we know what's going on. The Fury Road. The Fury Road. (gasps) Ah. And we think... I I feel almost like we we think that you know this is going to be all about Max, mm-hmm. you know, rescuing everybody in this compound, and then and then it's not. Nope. And that's from a storytelling perspective, super well done. Because mm-hmm. you just don't even know that that that's what's going to happen until boom. <laughs> so, all right, what else do we have to talk about, Melissa? Well, let's see. There's a, there's a lot of fun little stuff like uh, in the production design, there's um, one of the cars is like a VW Beetle just covered in spikes because it's awesome. Well, that's a reference to an Australian movie called The Cars That Ate Paris, which was directed by Peter Weir in the early 70s. <laughs> but it was kind of a predecessor to Mad Max. And it's really boring, but there is a... VW bug covered in spikes. There's a murderous VW bug covered in spikes, and it's there. And it made me very happy. Uh, there's also... Um, a lot of other like little tributes to the previous films, including the guy who plays Immortan Joe is the same actor who played Toe Cutter, the main bad guy in Mad Max, in the first Mad Max movie. 
two completely different characters. Huh. But it, much like Mel Gibson and, well, not, well, it's like the reverse of the Mel Gibson, Tom Hardy thing. Same character, two people, but, you know, one person, two characters. Oh. And that's not an unusual thing for the series either, because um, Bruce, oh, now I'm going to forget his name, Bruce, Bruce something or other, he's one of the tallest actors in the world. He's, he, um... He played the gyro captain in uh, Road Warrior. He comes back in Thunderdome as a completely different character. Um, but anyway, there you see a bunch of references to the previous movies, but not necessarily like directly tying them plot-wise together. Um, there's also... Uh, <laughs> Tom Hardy apparently used to have a dog named Max. Yeah. And it was ma- named after Mad Max. You and Tom Hardy have something in common. Which is weird. I never expected that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see what else. There's also... Mad Max has 52 lines in this movie, which means he's downright talkative in this film. In in, uh, The Road Warrior, which... You know, dear listeners, if you've been listening to a while, we did do The Road Warrior previously. He had like 13 lines in The Road Warrior. But so, I mean, so he has like four times the dialogue. There, there's more movie. dialogue. I mean, the Road there's Warrior. Dialogue the Road Warrior. Almost nobody talks. Yeah, there's that's a true. there's not a lot of talking in the Road Warrior. There's a lot of looking and and pointing and driving and car crashing. There's a lot of talking in Thunderdome. Yeah. There's a lot of really weird talking in Thunderdome. But anyway, we won't get into Thunderdome. Maybe we should watch Thunderdome. I could talk a long time about Thunderdome. I bet Thunder. you could. Oh, my God. That's a weird movie. Uh, and the original Mad Max film was cost, for adjusted dollars, about $300,000. And this cost a lot more. And how much is a lot I, more? You know what? I did not look that up. But it was in the millions. And so it's very Definitely more. A lot more. Well, I mean, they crashed cars. Mm-hmm. They built a working doof wagon, doof wagon. And, and a war rig and, and, and a VW bug with spikes all over it. <laughs> like you do. A working yes. VW bug with spikes. A working VW bug with spikes like all over it. I like to think that underneath it was, a, it was a Herbie the Love Bug. <laughs> like, like they got, they, they found one of these old, somebody had brought it over to, to, to Australia as, as like a, like a movie prop thing. And then, you know, the whole world went to shit and. Mm-hmm. I uh, I once I, I know where eight of those Herbie the Love Bugs are. So, well, you know, I know where they could have borrowed one. Anyway, uh, Namibia. Apparently, it was really hard to keep the cars running in Namibia because they were in the desert and sand gets everywhere. Yes, but but also apparently um, they were pretty far away from a lot of uh, civilization in Namibia, and it was a couple months long shoot. So the cast and crew really bonded together because they were kind of a city unto themselves. And from out of that, I think two couples uh, got together and are now married. Uh, the, particularly the stunt double for Tom Hardy and the stunt double for Furiosa fell in love and got married. Nice. Aww. Isn't that so cute? So there was a love story after there all. There was. And another one of the stunt people married one of the actresses, one of the wives, and I can't remember who it was, but... Yeah, you know, was it love her happened. own stunt double? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, the the guy who played Nux now yeah, Tom. No, uh, Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt. I knew it was wrong when I launched into it. He he learned how to knit from his uh, 
makeup artist, I think it Aww. was. And, you know, it just like everybody just bonded. It sounded like so much fun. Um, Being so, yeah. stuck in the middle of the desert. Yeah, they shot, <laughs> they shot something like 470 hours of footage. It took three months just to screen the footage for editing. Mostly wow. crashing cars. Mostly crashing cars. Glorious glorious car crashes. Now, do you want to say anything about George Miller before we move on to final thoughts? I mean, we've, we've talked about we've him talked a little about bit. Him a bit and, and we definitely talked about him during Road Warrior, but is there anything we I, want to I add? I think the only couple things I'll bring up is um, I thought I think we brought this up during Road Warrior too, but he, he was formerly a medical doctor before he started making movies, and uh, he worked a lot in the ER, and part of um, what spawned the the Road Warrior movies was he he saw all these horrific car crash victims come through. And so he just decided to make a movie that would kind of utilize the uh, kind of maiming and mutilation that happened be- behind the wheels of cars. It's like blood on the highways for real. Well, he kind of was in Australia in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing is um, what this George Miller has always been a really brilliant uh, director for action. And what really came out, particularly in this movie, um, is that the way he makes action work, and it really came together in this film as, like, everybody went, oh, this is how he does it. He, when, when an action scene happens, he makes sure that whatever's happening in that particular shot is right dead in the center. So as you're clipping from shot to shot to shot really quickly through an action scene, your eye is always looking in the same place from shot to shot. So you never miss, you're, you're never hunting for what you're supposed to be looking at in each shot. Oh. It's always right there. And so, so he's able to make these incredibly elaborate sequences and may have them make sense. There's like a dozen things happening at any given point in these action sequences, but you always have a sense of space. You know where all the cars are, are, are around each other. You know what characters where and what they're doing. And it's because you don't have to hunt for that information. It's like, he just puts up little flashcards in front of you. It's like, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. And you don't have to go looking for it. And he knows when to do a long shot to go, all right, just so you know, this is how everything's oriented. So now I can go back into a close-up and you're going to understand how all of these things relate to one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it is amazing to me that in this incredibly complex action film, you never lose sight of what's going on. And there's also, I mean, there's this concept called the uh, 180-degree rule where, you know, you don't – there are only certain ways you can – cut across the scene of action. So like if, if one shot, the, the, all the action's going to the left or to the right, the next shot, you want to make sure it's going in the same direction. So there seems to be continuity between the two. And he's, he's got a really good eye for being able to place the shots. So they're never, ever confusing. So not only is everything right in, you know, right in the center where you can see it there, it always makes sense in space. So, Yeah. So, Fun editing stuff. Okay, so we got to do final thoughts. And Margaret Sixel has an Oscar for for that. Also, the other the other Oscars are for uh, production design, makeup, uh, sound editing, sound misting, and, 
mixing and costume design. I think I already said costume, something like that. Anyway, I really liked the Oscars that year because if I remember right, the costume designer went up and she was like clad all in leather and, <laughs> and, and looked like an extra from the Road Warrior. And all the people at the Oscars were like, oh. They went, wait, I can dress like that? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, I... I I'm wearing a ball gown. Why do you get I'm to wearing, wear the comfy stuff? Well, I'm wearing a Versace, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> Where's your Versace? <laughs> Maybe it is a Versace. How do you know? All right. Uh, oh, no. So. You, you can tell. It's like this woman was like, yeah, I made this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Final thoughts. Allie, what's your final thought on The Road Warrior? I need a Furiosa Not The Road Warrior. Movie. You need a Furiosa I, I need a movie. Furiosa. I mean, this was a Furiosa movie, but I need, I need one called... Furiosa, mm. I, I need her name on the title, and I I need I need more of the brides too. Furiosa yeah. Road, yeah. Furiosa yeah. Road. <laughs> okay, Melissa, final thought. So Riley Keough, who played Capable, is the granddaughter of Elvis. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you didn't get to see Melissa's face, but that was great. <laughs> That was a great I, I had the happy Melissa face on. <laughs> so uh, my final thought is just, uh, and I, I kind of touched on it earlier, but I think uh, the fascinating thing about this film is the least interesting character in it is Max. Yeah. And it's named after him. Yep. And that's, and that is intentional and it's okay. And, and you have to give Tom Hardy credit for embracing the fact that the movie's named after his character, but he's not the most in- important character in the film. Yep. So he, He's just the glue that holds the series together, and that's it. <laughs> so, so thumbs up to Tom Hardy for accepting that he's not the star, mm-hmm. even if, if the movie is named after him. So that was Mad Max Fury Road. Up next, we are going to watch Frankenstein. We're getting- Frankenstein. Dean. No, Franken's absolutely oh. fra- Frankenstein because we watched <laughs> Young Frankenstein a while back, and now we're going to go back and watch the classic Frankenstein film. And after that, we're probably going to watch the film that won Best uh, Picture at the Oscars this year, which, as of this recording, has not been determined yet. Correct. But probably by the time you listen to it, will have been. Weird. Time is a flat circle. I, I know the the movie that Tim doesn't want it to be. But. Oh, I hope it's not that movie. So okay. bad. Right. Oh, I'll be so right. upset. Anyway, thank you for listening. Allie, thank you for uh, watching Fury Road with us tonight. Absolutely. Thank you. And we will catch you the next time we post a podcast. Bye. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Dee, dee, dee.